Well, again, I want to welcome you uh, this morning, especially if you're a guest with us, a uh, first-time or returning guest. Uh, we appreciate you being here with us. Part of the reason we share images like that with you is so you can get a sense of what this church uh, is all about. Uh, for those who are regular attenders here, members here, I want you to know that on Wednesday, we had the joy of welcoming about 40 new members into the life of our church at our most recent starting point gathering. And so we celebrate that with each person that uh, joins the church. We believe that the church grows not only in number, but in terms of who we are. We are enhanced by each person uh, who connects with our life, and so we appreciate that and celebrate that. If you brought your Bible today, I want to turn, uh, invite you to turn to Psalm 8. Uh, if you did not bring your Bible today, you can find Psalm 8 in the blue Bible that is in the seat pocket in front of you on page 845 in that blue Bible. So go ahead and grab that. If you didn't bring uh, your own Bible today, uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 8 in, in just a moment uh, as we look at this series uh, called in the beginning. I'll tell you up front that this is one of those series that I have been wanting to do for about three years. Uh, every once in a while, there's a, uh, there's a theme that we want to uh, address. There's a particular portion of the Scriptures that we want to look at, and, and it's just a matter of finding the right spot in the calendar for it to work. And so we've been looking for years to fit it in, and it hasn't quite worked out until now. Uh, we planned on a, a three-part series. We're trying to find a spot. I was out last week, so it kind of becomes a two-part series uh, for me. But I'm, I'm excited to share with you, and I want you to know why. Why is it that I would want to do this three years ago and, and continue to f- try to find uh, a spot for it? And, and to do that, I want to remind you of a few things that we talked about uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, we were looking at a series based on, uh, on the Bible. What does the Bible mean? And one of the things that I shared with you is that the Bible is, is actually not uh, one book, uh, but it is one story. Uh, it, it is actually a library of, of 66 different books, uh, and within the context of those different books written by different authors over the, over the course of, of, of many years, uh, there, there is uh, still one theme that runs throughout the entirety of the Scriptures. Uh, and, and in the Scriptures, since my clicker isn't working, I'm just going to keep walking around back, and this is going to be like the Wizard of Oz. Hey! Uh, it is not one book, but it is one story, and we talked about that there are three main characters in the story. Don't worry, guys, I will figure this out. We talked about that the three main characters of the story are God, God's children, and God's world. These are the three primary characters, and though we meet lots of different people along all the twists and turns of the Scriptures, these are the primary characters in this story, the story that we described in this way. That this story is a revelation of God's desire for relationship with God's children and the full restoration of God's world. So if you step back, if you step back from wherever you are in the Scriptures and, and step back to the, to the larger perspective, what you find is this overarching story that connects all of the books of the Bible together. That it is a story of God's desire for relationship with God's children and the full restoration of God's world. And every single part of the Bible fits in some ways within this larger theme of God's desire for, for relationship and God's desire for restoration. And that includes the book of Genesis. And particularly the first two chapters is what we're going to look at today. I'm not going to read to you the entirety of chapter 1 and 2. You can go do that uh, after today if you would like to. But we're going to look at what we find in these first two chapters and how it relates to this overarching story. The first thing you might notice is that when you turn to Genesis 1 and 2, we meet these three primary characters. 
We, we are introduced to God. We are introduced to God's world, and we're introduced to God's children, to, to humanity. We have, a, we have a sense of what the world uh, is all about, uh, what, what, what creation is, is all about, and the part that humanity is meant to play within the story. Uh, but before we get there, we're going to read Psalm 8. And let me tell you why we're going to look at Psalm 8 first. I want you to listen to the, to the posture and the tone that is communicated here. Uh, this is a psalm written by King David, king over Israel, a man who had great authority and power. But I want you to listen to the, again, the posture and the tone of the words that he shares as he speaks about creation. And he speaks about the part that humanity is meant to play in this entire created order. Here's what David says. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the path of the seas, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So, so do, you, do you hear it? Do, do you hear what David does when he lifts his eyes from the mundane activities of his life, the everyday, ordinary stuff uh, that, that he has to deal with, the responsibility that he bears as king over Israel, and he looks up at the sky, and, and, and in awe and wonder, he considers the majesty of all creation and the idea that he, that humanity has been called to play a part in this, in this great world. That is the sense that we bring. That's the posture that we bring to these first two chapters of Genesis. We come with humility and with, with reverence, recognizing that what, is, what we find here and, and what, what the Scriptures address here is something that is so much bigger than ourselves. It's so much bigger than our, than our, than our human minds. There is a picture here of how the entire created world comes into being. So we're going to look at these three characters. And we're going to look at what Genesis reveals about these three characters as we move to what does that mean for us? And how does that apply to us as we think about what does it mean to play our part in the world uh, that we are living in today? So we begin uh, in the beginning, and in the beginning, uh, here's what you discover. Let me show you the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So, if you approach the Bible with the hope that the Bible is going to answer all of your questions, we are five seconds into the Bible and you are already disappointed. And let me tell you why. Because there's a question that maybe along the way you have been asked. Maybe it was asked by one of your children or maybe one of your grandchildren. And because you didn't know the answer to that question, you called the pastor and you went to the pastor, and you asked the same question. And at the very moment that you finished the question, the pastor got an emergency phone call and had to leave. 
because he or she also didn't know the answer to the question. Do you know which question I'm talking about? The question is, who made God? You ever heard that from a child? Well, okay, who made God? And what we find in the very beginning of the Scriptures is that the Bible does not address that question. <laughs> there, there is no Rather, what the Bible says is you, is you go back to the very beginning and here's what you find. You find God. There's nothing before God. There's nothing after God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one who we will see brings all things into being in Him. All things hold together. This is the one who is bigger and beyond all of creation. That when you go back to the very beginning, expecting to find nothing, what do you discover? You discover God. And there's nothing that comes before God. Because God, this is Some of this stuff is just hard for us to wrap our heads around. God exists beyond the construct of what we understand to be reality. He he is outside of space and time. Uh, the, The two things that you and I are always bound by, God is bigger and beyond all things that we can see and all things that we can imagine. You go back to the very beginning, you find in the beginning God, uh, here's the best you get. Uh, You you get that the origin of God is God. That's what we discover in the very beginning, and we also discover that God's words are different than our words. God speaks, and, God, uh, and by the word of God, by the breath of God, the life of God is shared with all living things. Even when you get to chapter 2 and you have a slightly different perspective on how the first human being was brought into existence, you have God taking the dust of the ground and forming it into the shape of a man, but this pile of dirt... This pile of dirt doesn't cease to be a pile of dirt until God breathes on it. And when God breathes, when God speaks, the life that animates all of life, all living things is shared. God's words are what bring all of creation into being. And and the third thing that we could say of God is that God delights in creating things that are good. And at this point, we don't really know why this is. I mean, think about it this way. You're on page two, okay? You're on page two. You haven't learned everything. Uh, But if you can, set aside everything that you've learned in your life from the 65 books that follow in the rest of Genesis. At this point, you don't really really know. Why why does this God care about creating things that are good? You don't even really know why God is, is creating this new world. But you sort of get the sense, if you're just on page two, that he's sure having a good time doing it. That there is this joy that is present. There is this celebration. There's a smile, if you will, as God looks at all that he brings into being. And and he says of it that it is good. That's the first character. The second character that we come to is God's world. And, And while we realize in the beginning that the origin of God is God, what we, what we learn about God's world is that the origin of all living things is also God. Now, this could be easy for us to just brush over and not really understand the significance, but, but I want you to hear this very carefully. What, what we find in the beginning is that there is nothing in all of creation that has not been made by God. God doesn't stumble upon an empty world and, and, and in doing so think, well, I could do something fun here. 
everything that we find in the beginning is given the gift of life, that life originates in God. It was carefully uh, uh, crafted out of His creativity and His love. Every single portion of this creation originates, the life of it originates in God, and every single portion of this creation, according to the Scriptures, every single part of it is declared to be good. This is fun. I should do this every week. The entirety of God's world is declared to be good. And that includes the, the part of creation that we meet in, meet in Genesis 1, verse 26. There's 25 verses of the Bible that exist, uh, that speak of the existence of the world before any of us ever came around. Genesis 1, 26, God creates humanity, and what we discover is that humanity is different. There's something different about, about these, these creatures that God creates on day six. He also creates livestock and wild animals and other things on day six. But, but what sets humanity apart is the idea that humanity is created in the image of God. And we don't really, again, at this point know what that means. We don't really understand the full implications of what that means, but we are created in the image of God. And in the image of God, uh, we have been created uh, with a unique part to play. So, so listen again to what, what David says. When I look up at the skies and the heavens and in wonder, I, I think to myself, what, is, what are we that you are mindful of us, that you have created us to be a little lower than the angels. You have crowned us with glory and honor. You, you've made us rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under the feet. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You and I were created to steward and shepherd and care for this creation that in the very beginning, God says, of all of it, it is good. And that's, that's how you could summarize these first two chapters. This is what we learn about God and God's children and God's world uh, in the very beginning and the way that these three characters are living in harmony with one another. The, the way that we could summarize everything that we find here is simply this, that it's all good. It's all beautiful. It's all lovely. It's all as it is, was intended to be. It is all good. And if there is anything in you that, when you that when you see that idea and, and you think about a world where there is nothing that has been given the gift of, there's nothing that has been created that does not originate in God, there is nothing in all creation that is not uh, d- defined and declared to be good. When you look at that picture and you think about that world and in your mind you think to yourself, but that's not quite the world that I live in. That's part of the point of the story. That's the reason that these images are here. Because when you read Genesis 1 and 2, you are meant to feel that sense of discomfort. You are meant to feel the tension between a world that is all good 
and the world that you live in and I live in, that at best we would say it is somehow less than all good. You're meant to be disturbed by that. You're meant to be stirred up by that. This is meant to create in you a longing and a desire for the world that once was and the world that by faith we believe will one day come again. A world that God would say of it, it is all good. It is meant to be a picture that is designed to renew your commitment to working for a world that is not as the world uh, of today, but the world as it once was. A world that is all good. So here's the question, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Why, why, why do we come back over and over again to, these, uh, to, to what we find here in the first two chapters of Genesis? How, how does this lead us and, 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 and how should we respond to this? Well, well, here's the first thing that I think it should invite you to do and it should challenge you to do. It should create in you a desire to keep reading. Because when you look at a world that is all good and you look at the reality that you live in that is somehow less than good, you should be interested to know what went wrong. What is it that, that happened? What is it that interrupted a creation that God said is all good? It should, this should be, at the end of chapter 2, this should be the point where you think, I want to turn the page. I want to figure out what happened. I don't care what it is that I find there. I want to know what is it that interrupted the flow of a world that is all good. And so for you, the direct application is you should come back next week when we look at Genesis chapter 3. Because next week, we're going to talk about everybody's favorite topic. We're going to talk about sin, okay? Not sin. We're going to talk about sin, okay? We're going to talk about your sin. We're going to talk about my sin. We're going to talk about our sin. We're going to talk about this thing that gets created in Genesis chapter 3, this new thing that enters into the world that interrupts a world that is all good, a world of harmony that then uh, it leads to disharmony. And we're going to look at it to understand what it is that, that, that somehow fractures and, and, and sets the world spinning in a wrong direction, a little bit off its axis. What is it that, 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 that changes a world from being all good to something that is, that is less than good? That's the first thing. It should, it should challenge you and invite you to listen to the next part of the story, to stare it in the face, not ignore it. But to recognize what is the barrier that separates the world that is all good from a world that is somehow less than good. But here, here's the other thing I think it should challenge each and every one of us to do. And to, to share this with you, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. If you've been coming uh, to the pastor's Bible study on Wednesday, we've been talking about uh, a man named Jacob. And if you were to keep reading in Genesis, you'll eventually get to Jacob's story. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. And, and what we find in Jacob's life is that Jacob is a man who kind of excels at making a mess of things, okay? If you were sort of like that, you'd love Jacob's story, okay? You'd feel better about yourself if you, if you read a little bit about Jacob, because this is a guy who, who comes to a point in his life where he has caused such a disruption in his family that his brother has decided he wants to kill Jacob. 
Now, I know you may have siblings, and you may think to yourself, oh, man, I've made my siblings mad, and they've made me mad, but no, no, no. He's going to kill him. Like, really? I'm not like being, you know, hyperbolic here. I'm re- Esau wants to kill his brother, and mom, sensitive to the needs of these two boys, comes to Jacob and says, you might want to go away for a little while. And so that's what Jacob does. He leaves his home. And he leaves his family, the only home and the only family that he's ever known, and he's all alone. And while he's won what he wanted to win, he's also in some ways lost what he didn't know he was going to lose. And while he's on that journey all alone, he comes to the end of the day and he looks for a place to sleep. And there's no Motel 6, okay? No one's left the light on for him. All he has is a rock. He finds a rock for a pillow. So be, be very happy that you don't live in the ancient world. He finds a rock. That's going to be his pillow for the night. He lays down with his head on this rock, and when he falls asleep, he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a ladder connecting heaven and earth, a ladder with angels descending and ascending. And in the context of this dream, The covenant that had originally been given to his grandfather Abraham, renewed in his father Isaac, for the first time in his life, it's it's affirmed and it's renewed for Jacob. God comes and says, I am the God of your father Isaac and your father Abraham, and the covenant that I have made in them, I am renewing today with you. And Jacob wakes up from the dream, and here's what he says. He says, surely God was in this place, and I did not know it. And then he takes some oil, and he pours it onto the rock. Remember the pillow? And and, and he takes the rock, and he declares this ordinary rock as a sacred place. He builds an altar there, because this was the place where God met him and affirmed the covenant that had been given to his grandfather and shared with his father and now had been given to him. This ordinary place that he could have easily walked right past has now become a place that Jacob has declared to be sacred because he says, surely God was in this place and I did not know it. Many of you already know that there is a team in India right now representing you, connecting with orphaned children, vulnerable children in India who are being given the chance of a new life, an actual life, because of your generosity shared and because of our partnership with Zoe Ministry, the work that they are doing with them. It is right now 9.49 in India. They're 11 and a half hours ahead. I don't I can't explain to you the half. I don't know what that means, but for some reason it's 11 and a half and not a round number. And let me tell you what they're doing or what they did uh, this day that has just passed for them and what they'll be doing tomorrow. They will be going out to meet each of these different groups of kids. And in meeting them, they will hear stories about what is happening in their life. The kids will share with them the miraculous things that have happened. And there will be things that that for us, if we were to share them with one another, we might not think about them as a miracle because they're things that we just expect and assume would happen every day. They will hear kids talk about the miracle of the fact that today there's food in their stomach. And just 
just a short while ago, they can remember what it was like to, to not know when their next meal was going to come. It's incredible. They'll, they'll, they will be in places that if you were there with your own eyes to see them, you would just be shocked by the poverty that is around you. But, but what is so striking when you go and you meet these children is in the midst of this broken and messed up world, you, you, see, you see such beautiful and, and amazing things. Um, last slide here, excuse me. This is a picture from uh, my trip a couple years ago to Rwanda to, to connect with the kids that we are sponsoring there. Uh, we were driving around, uh, um, came around a, uh, a little hill, and the bus just stopped. And I thought, well, this is where, it, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. So we, we, he says, get out of the bus. And so we all get out of the bus, and we look up on this hillside, and there's like a hundred kids there. And they're, they're dancing and singing and clapping, and, and, and they come down the hillside to greet us. And, and there on the side of the road, they begin to tell us their story about what has happened in their life and, and what has changed in their life. And what they invite us to do is to turn around and to look at the, just the, the, the little valley area right there beside uh, the road. And what we saw there was a 40-acre cornfield that we could have easily just driven right past. But we stopped, and it was pointed out to us, and, and what they told us was that this was land that everyone else assumed was worthless. And because they assumed that nothing could grow here, the, the government had actually given this land to this orphan community. And, and, and we were there at the time where we were able to see the, the fruits of their labor, and also there at a time where we got to hear them tell the story. Of, of how hope had entered into their life again because someone had given them land that nobody else wanted and some people who they'd never met on the other side of the world had made sure that funds were available for a grant to give them seed to plant in that ground right there on the side of the road in a, in a cornfield that we could have easily driven right past and never known never known that there in the middle of nowhere in Rwanda is a field of corn planted by grace, a miracle of God. Uh, this is a picture that our photographer took, and, and what I like about this picture, uh, this is me right here. Every once in a while, you see a picture of yourself, and you think, I know exactly what I was thinking right then. And it was something like this. God was in this place, and I didn't even know it. I had no idea this was even there. Surely God is here. And I was not aware. Something beautiful, something good, something lovely, something that can only be traced to the goodness and grace of God. It's right there. And yet it would have been so easy to just drive on past. When you think about a world that is all good, and you consider the reality of a world that is somehow less than all good, the easiest thing to do is to focus on those things that make it less than good. Rather than to be people of faith, 
who proclaim in ordinary places all around the world, God is in this place. There is good that is happening here. Heaven and earth are actually intersecting right in front of us. And though this world is not everything that it should be, and it is not everything that it one day will be, there are still signs all around us of the new world breaking into the old world. And people who are playing their proper part in creation are those who by faith proclaim God is in this place. And God continues to work for good. You are called to look for places where the world that once was and the world that will be again is already intersecting with our world today. And one of the primary places where that should be happening, if you read carefully the very beginning of the story, one of the primary places that that should be happening where heaven and earth are meeting is in your life. In the way that you are living, sharing, uh, inviting, building relationships with others, in the words that you are speaking, the life that you are living, the decisions that you are making, everything that you are doing is meant to be something that would communicate that heaven and earth are coming together, that you are in fact one who has decided to play your part in creation by being a good steward of what God has brought into being, of the goodness of all things that God has brought into being, someone who looks at a world that is somehow less than good and says, I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and to work for a world that is better than the world that I am living in today. And if you don't have a sense of where the story begins, And what the world was intended to be, it would be easy to miss where the world is heading. And the part that you are called to play, and that I am called to play, and the church is called to play, to seeing and proclaiming that God is here. And God continues to work for good. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, we remember the words that Jesus shared with his disciples. Blessed are your eyes, for they have seen. Blessed are your ears, for they have heard. Lord, we want to be people who see and hear and experience and celebrate things that others might miss those who would call out and proclaim that this is in fact a world that you have not abandoned, but a world in which you are actively working for the restoration of relationship and the renewal and the restoration of all things. Lord, we confess to you that we often look around and think someone should do something about that. And we forget 
that when we look at the beginning of the story, you have already assigned that task to your people, to those who have been created in your image, to those who bear the responsibility of caring for and shepherding the world, moving it to a place where it would one day again be what it once was in the very beginning. Help us, God, to be the people of faith who do what you would call us to do, who see what you would invite us to see, and who by faith would have the courage to also proclaim that you are here. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.